Today's reading is from 2 Corinthians 12, 1 to 10. I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Thank you, Lorraine, for that wonderful reading. Good morning, good morning, everybody. Lovely to see you this morning, and special welcome to you if you're visiting us. It's lovely to have you here, either in person or whether you're here online. My name is Alan, I'm part of the team here, and we're continuing this sermon series called Family Values. We're looking at the values or the ideals that we want to hold ourselves to as a church family. And these aren't things that we've just come up with, these are things which are the mark of any healthy church. Hopefully if you haven't already had one of these, you'll grab a bookmark as you leave today. These list our family values and so far in this series we've been looking at unity. We want to be a community that makes every effort to keep unity. We've been looking at transformation. We want to be a community that doesn't just stand still. We want to continue to be transformed and become more like Jesus. We want to be a community which has authenticity, that we can be real with each other and real with God. We want to be a community that listens to God, that we hear God and know God's guidance and where God is working, that we, we have that discernment, this spiritual discernment. We want to be a community that has character. We want to model something different to the world, that we have integrity and character, we don't just gossip and criticise, but we deal with each other justly and rightly and with transparency. And then last week, um, Jess was speaking to us about celebration. That was Shirley, sorry, apologies. Jess was the week before. Shirley was speaking to us about celebration and praise, giving thanks in all circumstances, how we rejoice in the Lord. And this morning we're looking at this wonderful subject, power in weakness. What does it mean to have power in weakness? Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word and whether we're reading these verses for the first time or the hundredth time, we want to pray, Lord, that you would speak to each one of us by your Spirit and impart something to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
During the week I was having a conversation with our curate Sophie and right in the middle of the conversation um, she said I need to go and change her lovely little daughter Ella's nappy. So she disappeared and it reminded me of the days when I used to change nappies like I might have shared this before but um, I have to admit um, when my children were very young I was a little bit proud and arrogant and I thought I was like super dad. I, I, I kind of like to show off to everyone that I had everything handled and one evening we had some guests come round to the house and um, I just announced in front of all the guests I'm going to put the boys to bed and do bath time and change the nappies, sort everything out. You guys just stay down here, enjoy dessert. So I, off I went upstairs. Bath time went well and I think my oldest was about three years old at the time. So we were laid him down, changed his nappy and then as I put his dirty nappy into the bag I realised that um, I don't have any spare nappies to put back on him. So um, I said to him, three years old, I said, stay there, don't move. And he kind of looked at me, and I'm sure it is um, three-year-old Brian, he said, Daddy, you have no, you don't have a clue what's going to happen. So I went off into the bedroom to get some clean nappies. When I came back, um, to my dismay, I found him running around the hallway. Somehow he managed to get the dirty nappy bag hooked under his foot, wrapped around his ankles, and he was dragging that around a lovely beige um, hallway sort of landing carpet. I could hear voices downstairs, is everything okay? And I'll say, yeah, everything's in control, don't panic, don't worry. And it was kind of, there was a little trail that was leaking out of the bag and going over the beige carpet like he was kind of painting a picture or something. So um, I, I kind of got to vanish out and try to clear up the carpet and I put a sort of a new nappy down on him and I shouted downstairs, yeah, everything's under control. I put him to bed and I was with him and he fell asleep quite quickly. And just as I was about to leave his bedroom, I noticed, I mean, I didn't, I'd never noticed this before, but it was like, there were faces on the nappy. There's like a happy face and a, and a sort of a sleepy face. And for some reason, he was laying on his back, but the sleepy face was facing me. And I think that meant the nappy was the wrong way round. But, you know, the nappy said exactly the same to me. I thought it wouldn't, make, wouldn't be a problem. There's, there's no hassle of him going to sleep with the nappy the wrong way round. It's not going to do any damage. And then a few hours later... Um, he wet the bed, there was crying, there was, all the sheets were soaking wet, and someone else had to get up and change it, and I had to eat humble pie and realise I wasn't a super dad, I was a bit of a failure. And that, that, the first pride, was it pride comes before fall, comes to mind. I felt a total failure, and I felt exposed as a fraud. I wonder how many of us here, when we look at our own Christian life, that's what our lives really look like. You know, we pretend we have it all together, but underneath, we actually feel maybe we're failures or frauds or pretending. If we're honest, all of us are just ordinary, broken, messed up people who need forgiveness, aren't we? We sometimes try and put this wonderful mask on and put stuff on social media and we talk about our spirituality, but deep down, maybe deep down, we think we don't actually have this all together. But if you're able to relate to that, then this passage was great for you. This is for you. Following Jesus is not about having it all together, and that might be a relief for some of us here. It's not about having the right answers and never messing up. So there's two things I'd like to say to you this morning. The first is this. God loves ordinary, broken, vulnerable people. God loves ordinary, broken, vulnerable people. They're the people he loves. If you read through the Bible, you see again and again, they're the people God loves. In Isaiah it says, he bruised reed, he will not stuff out. In the Psalms we're told the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. In the Beatitudes we're told about the poor in spirit, those who are persecuted, those who mourn, 
those are the ones who get blessed. God loves ordinary, broken, vulnerable people. The second thing is this. God's grace and God's power are for ordinary, broken, vulnerable people. God's grace and his power is for those who are ordinary, those who are broken, and those who are vulnerable. When power is mentioned in this letter to the Corinthians, and if you read through this letter, Corinthians 1 and Corinthians 2, power is always mentioned in relationship to weakness. They go together. Right at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the cross. He says, The message of the cross is foolishness, it's weakness to those who are perishing. But to us who have been saved, it's the power of God. And then Paul talks about Christians, those who are converted, those who come to faith through this message of the cross. He says, to those whom God has called, Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And then Paul gives his own testimony. And he says, I came to you in weakness and trembling and fear. My message and my preaching was not with wise and persuasive words, but it was with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. I came to you in weakness, but it was with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Weakness and power go together. God's grace and power is for ordinary, broken, vulnerable people. All of us will face challenges at some time in our lives. Maybe you're here this morning and you're right in the midst of a challenge yourself. Maybe it's relationship, maybe it's finances, maybe it's something that's going on at work, maybe it's an illness for yourself or someone else. Maybe, whatever it is, maybe you're right in the middle of a storm or a challenge this morning. What are the things that you're struggling with? If you were to pause for a moment, what are the things that you're struggling with this morning? If you want to encounter God's grace and power in your greatest need, and there's two things I think these few verses tell us, two things I'd love to suggest to you this morning. The first thing is this, the first thing that we see from Paul's life is humility. Learn to be humble. If you want to receive the grace and the power of God in your moment of your greatest need, learn to be humble. Verse 9. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. The message translation says this. So I wouldn't get a big head, I was given the gift of a handicap. The 19th century social reformer, you may have heard of him, Samuel Brengel. He was once introduced as the great Dr. Brengel, and this really embarrassed him. So his reply was this. The axe cannot boast of the trees it has cut down. It can't do anything without the woodsman. He made it, he sharpened it, and he used it. The moment he throws it aside becomes just old iron. Oh, that I may never lose sight of this. He understood that pride gets in the way of our relationship with God. When we think we have all the answers, when we crave the prestige and the importance, and when we stop relying on God, that's when we get in the way of God's power working in us. But in these verses, we don't actually know what Paul's form is, but we do know exactly why it was given. It's quite nice we don't know what his thorn is, because it means all of us can own it. We all have our own thorns in our flesh. It means all of us together can say there's something that we're struggling with. What we do know is that Paul went through hardships and sufferings and persecutions, as well as amazing blessings and visions. He says that in his few verses before. 
So he's speaking about a thorn. There must have been something which was really hard and difficult for him to stomach. But we know the reason why it was given to him. It was given to him for humility. God wants us to see ourselves as we truly are. And every one of the New Testament writers, they all mention this theme of humility. Whether it's Peter, Paul, James, John, they all say, be humble. And then we have the example of Jesus who epitomized humility in his own life. He went to the cross, didn't he? He humbled himself, even to death on the cross. God takes humility very, very seriously. Seriously enough, he would send a messenger from Satan to afflict his servant, Paul. How do you respond to that? God takes humility very seriously. It's a lovely um, quote that my dad gave me many years ago when I first started the ministry. And I've always looked back at it. I always find this a real challenge. He said, you'll be surprised at what God can do through you if you don't mind who gets the glory. You'll be surprised what God can do through you if you don't mind who gets the glory. If you want to experience the power of God in your own life, if you want to see a nation change for Jesus, then it all begins with humility, having a humble heart. But if your motivation or your agenda is to see your name in lights, if you want to be used by God in some sort of special way, or be in charge of a ministry, then God can't use you because you and yourself and your pride is getting in the way of what God wants to do. But if you don't mind who gets the glory, and God says, that's a person I can use. Pride puffs up, doesn't it? But love builds up. And the devil, we're told, fell through pride. Pride causes disunity. But humility is key. It's key for our relationships with each other, and it's key for our relationships with God. So a challenge. Are you? Where are you? Are you a glory seeker? Do you seek glory? Are you willing to give God the glory for others? Where do you need to repent of your own pride? How can you put someone else before yourself? Being the peacemaker, being someone who encourages, offering to help someone at personal cost to yourself. Christ's power is made perfect in our weakness. If you want to encounter God's grace and his power at the moment of your greatest need, and it begins with humility. That's the first thing. And then second thing is also just as challenging. There's no easy thing about this. I don't know, someone told me being a Christian is an easy thing. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. It's going to test you and challenge you. But it's the most amazing and awesome thing you'll ever do. The second thing is just as challenging. It's surrender. Learn to surrender. Learn to get out of the driver's seat. I sometimes think our relationship with God is a bit like... Um, we need to get somewhere really quick and we've got, I don't know, Lewis Hamilton or someone in the driving seat. And he's saying, do you want me to drive? So yeah. And then you leave him in the passenger seat and you do all the driving. And it's like, that's our relationship with God. And, and we, we, what do you want to say, Lewis? Why don't you take over the steering wheel? Let me be the passenger and you get us to where we need to go. God, maybe you need to take over the driving seat of my life. Let me be the passenger and rely on you and you get me where we need to go. For most of us, this idea of strength and weakness, it makes no sense. Strength and weakness are total opposites, aren't they? They don't go together. We think weakness is bad, it's something we need to avoid. Strength is good, it's something we all want. We want to be healthy and fitter and stronger and, and, and not, um, we want respect of other people. And I think it's why most of us do everything we can do to overcome our weaknesses. Our weaknesses make us feel vulnerable. And if we're vulnerable, then we become insecure because we know we're vulnerable to others, others hurting us. 
If we can vulnerable, we can get hurt. People can take advantage of us. And Paul pleaded with God three times that whatever this form was, this form would be taken from him, that this weakness would be removed, that he would be strong. And God didn't remove it. God says, my grace is enough, Paul. Jesus is all you need. My power is made perfect in your weakness. The word perfect here, the Greek word, that means to become to full maturity. Something becomes mature in all its fullness. God's power becomes mature in all its fullness. God's um, potent power, he is all-powerful, becomes mature in all its fullness, the weaker we are. We mature as we surrender, as we recognize our weaknesses and our limitations, and we learn to rely more deeply on the power of Jesus. We want to escape our weaknesses and our failures, but the more we learn to rely on God, the actual thing is the more we discover who God is. Pete Gregg, the, the wonderful preacher, author, and the person who started the 24-7 prayer movement, he says this, and I find it such a, a challenging and encouraging quote. Sometimes, instead of giving us what we want, God gives us himself. Think about that for a moment. Sometimes, instead of giving us what we want, God gives us himself. We want this or that. And God says, actually, the thing you need is me. This is all about Jesus. This is all about surrendering to him and discovering more of him. And I'm sure as many of us, as we look back in our lives with hindsight, we look at some of those challenging and painful experiences that we've been through, we actually see that actually his grace was enough. That he was there, he was faithful, he was holding us. He was the one who kept us going, held us up. And there were lessons and places he took us which we wouldn't have got if we hadn't gone down those paths. Hindsight is a great thing, but God calls us to have trust and faith inside that hindsight, that he's been faithful in the past, that he will be faithful in the future. So what is God calling you to surrender to him this morning? What's the thing that God might be saying to you, this is what you need to surrender. What are the things he's calling you to lay down for him? For Paul, it was an affliction. He had to lay that down, he had to surrender to the Lord and say, Lord, okay, I'm going to live with this and trust in your grace. Maybe for you it's a sense of calling or a vision, or maybe it's a relationship or a job. Or maybe it's just your heart, God's calling you to surrender your heart, whether it's for the first time, or maybe for the hundred and first time, saying, Lord, Will you come back to me? Will you surrender your heart? Will you give me your will you trust me with everything that you're going through? What's the thing that you're going through at the moment that God is using to change you? And he's saying, My grace is enough for this situation. I often think we get this whole Christianity thing all wrong and we, we you know, it's just the way we're wired and the way we're made, but we get obsessed with numbers and growth and programs and and being eloquent and polished and in some ways all those things are good things but it's actually when everything goes wrong when life goes pear-shaped when everything's stripped back enough the only thing we have is Jesus Christ himself that's when we encounter Jesus and all his power so we don't like a polished church <laughs> we discover at those times it's not about the just um trying to get everything sorted and right, but actually it's about humility and surrender. And Jesus is enough, whatever we're going through. Being with him, 
It's not about being with him there or there or there. It's about being with him here in this place, Jesus' mouth. And I don't know what that here looks like for you. Only you'll know that. What's the here for you? That God, Jesus is just saying, this is the place I want you to be. Just with me. Just rest with me. My grace is going to be enough for where you are. It's not always about just getting around it. It's about waiting and resting in me. And trusting that my grace is enough. Humility and surrender. So we're coming into that. When I was in my previous church, we had um, a, a children's ministry, like most churches do, and it started to dwindle, and there was very few people attending. And um, I thought, we needed a member of staff. We needed someone who could just come in and breathe some new life and vision into this kids' ministry. So we had no money, there was no budget, so I started to apply for a couple of grants. And I remember at the beginning of the year applying for these forms and writing out these forms. I got these emails back, and they wanted more information. And the emails came back, and there was more information. January came, February came, March came, and they kept extending the deadline. By the time we got to the summer, I, I think I was just, I was just had enough. I'd spent so much time on these um, grant applications, and nothing was going on. And I, and I thought about it, and I prayed about it, and I thought, well, who's this for? Is this for the church? Is this for God's glory? Is this for the community? Or actually, is this for me? So I could say we've got a thriving kids ministry in our church. I was only after just a little bit of money, just for someone for one year, part time just to breathe a bit of vision into this. And I came before the Lord and I said, Lord, I'm going to surrender this to you. Maybe I'm, my attitude, my, my, my heart's been in the wrong place. If you don't want us to have this private ministry, if you want us to do something else, as churches we can't do everything, maybe you call us to focus on something else. I'll focus on something else. I just surrender this to you. I just need to humble myself before you. And I have to see what you want to do. So we withdrew from this grant application. And the next day I got a phone call. And there was a couple I knew, some dear friends, and they'd come into a bit of money, and they said, I, I don't know, they had no idea that we were applying for a kids' pastor. And they said, I've no idea if you need someone to do some children's work, but we would love to give you a bit of money to help you employ someone to do some kids' work. So I said, wow, well, did you know about it? I said, no, we didn't know about it. We've both been praying, and independently, God's spoken to both of us, that we should call you and ask you if this is going to be any help to you. So I was so saying, that's amazing. What are we talking about? Part-time, one year? They said, no, um, full-time salary. Not for one year, not for two years, but for three years. We'll fund this person for three years, full-time, for you. That's what we feel God's called to. So I was, I was amazed at that standard. It felt like God was answering the prayer and we humbled ourselves. But then out of that, we started to see our children's ministry totally change around and start to grow. Then we were invited to do an after-school club in the local schools. We started to run after-school clubs in the schools. Then we started um, to revive the after-school club in our church. And over the next few months to the next year, we saw hundreds of children hear about the good news of Jesus. Humility and surrender. But it's no other turn just to Jesus. That's the best place to be. Because it's down to him and he's the one who comes through for us. Sometimes it might be disappointment. Sometimes you might not see what it looks like. But God comes through with humility and surrender. His grace is enough. His power is made perfect in weakness. And actually, the, when we get this, when we understand that the weaker we are, the more we rely on him, that's when his power becomes perfect. Not just in our lives as individuals, but in our life as a church. We say, Lord, we want to be a church which humbles ourselves and surrenders to you, whatever you want to do. We want to be open to that, and we know that you will come through for us. 
And I believe it is, just like Paul, just having to sit there, holding this thing, holding this thing that we challenge with. God's promise is His grace is enough. His grace is enough for whatever you're going through this morning. And His power is made perfect in our weakness. Would the band would like to come up? He loves you. His grace is enough. And His power, His almighty power, is made perfect in our weakness. It's just about us being real with Him. If you're able, would you like to stand? I don't know what that thing is for you. Only you know that. But we want to give space and opportunity for us to be authentic. We, we, we were speaking about authenticity a few weeks ago. Being real with God and just saying, Lord, maybe I need to just repent of when I've been putting a mask on, trying to make it, I've got it all together. And maybe this morning's my opportunity to say, Lord, I want to just trust you and be with you in this moment of uncomfortableness and weakness and difficulty. Trust that you're going to come through for me, whatever that looks like. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to be here and we pray, come Holy Spirit.
to pray for anyone here this morning too. Yearns to walk with humility with you. I pray, Lord, that you would highlight in each of our lives those things, Lord, that just get in the way of you, our relationship with you, of Jesus to lay down our lives afresh, that we would surrender afresh, that we would draw a line today saying, Lord, we want to just be in a, a new place with you, a new place of surrender. And I pray, Lord, for anyone this morning who is in that place of pain, uncertainty, disappointment, that has their own form, just carrying their own form in their life, then your grace will be enough. We thank you for that amazing verse, that wonderful promise. You are enough, Lord. Your grace is enough. Your grace is sufficient. May you clothe every single person here with your peace and your joy. brokenness and our frailty and our vulnerability you would shine so through us so so much Lord that we would impact those around us I pray that throughout this week Lord we wouldn't be people who are strong but we would be carrying this treasure in clay jars we would be people who are vulnerable and fragile that carry a mighty God 